sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. Introducing my guest today is exceedingly easy because uh, he needs to remain anonymous because the topic we're talking about is sensitive and potentially even dangerous. So we're talking about the role of religion in the war in Ukraine. So welcome to Freedom's Ring, my anonymous friend. Thank you, Alan, for having me on the show. I greatly appreciate it. And I will tell you that my guest is a scholar who knows what he's talking about. So maybe that's the most important thing. Um, there's been a lot of press given to the motives of Vladimir Putin and what Russia is seeking or hoping to accomplish in terms of the invasion in Ukraine. Very little has been written about the religious dimension. Um, let's start with a question about the kind of the history, the origins of the Russian Orthodox Church and its connection to Kiev. So um, originally, the Russian Church was actually the Kievan Church. Uh, it was founded in a see when was the baptism of the, the Kievans? I think it was 867 by uh, bishops from um, the Byzantine Empire from Constantinople and the see of the Metropolitanate of Kiev was in Kiev itself. Eventually, the Russian church, the see, uh, uh, I guess I should clarify what see means in case someone doesn't know, that is the, the seat of power for the jurisdictional area of the church. The see was actually moved to Moscow. Uh, this was in the um, uh, mid-1300s, I think it was 1325, if I remember my dates correctly. I'm horrible with dates, so I apologize. And the Russian church actually declared itself uh, autonomous from the uh, the ecumenical patriarch uh, in the mid 1400s, and then it was recognized as an autonomous church in the late 1500s. And when you say um, autonomous from uh, from the Greek, correct, being out from underneath the jurisdiction of the ecumenical patriarch and as its own jurisdiction. Which in the Orthodox Church, what that means is you move from from having a metropolitan who's over a specific area to you have a patriarch who is over the church itself. Uh, just like the Pope is a is actually a patriarch, it's the same word. Um, all the patriarchs uh, are in charge of their own jurisdictions, and they all meet together at a uh, ecumenical council to determine the major canons of the church. So you're saying that really what we now know as the Russian Orthodox Church, it started in Kiev, and the center of it shifted to Moscow several hundred years later. Correct. And more recently, though, I gather that there has been a split and there's now a uh, Ukrainian Orthodox Church that has split from the Russian Orthodox Church. There is a, a schismatic or non-canonical um, Ukrainian Orthodox Church, as well as a Ukrainian Orthodox Church that is under the Moscow Metropolitanate, uh, sorry, Patriarchate, uh, meaning it is part of the jurisdiction of the Russian Orthodox Church. The non-canonical or previously non-canonical Ukrainian Orthodox Church was recognized by the Ecumenical Patriarch as a fully autonomous jurisdiction of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. Uh, was that two years ago, three years ago now? 
um, which is kind of what started out a lot of this um, jostling within the churches, which caused the Russians to break communion with the ecumenical patriarch and the Greek Orthodox Church. So, all right, if I'm understanding you, the Orthodox Church in Ukraine that split off from Russia uh, got support from the Greek Orthodox Church. Now the Russian Orthodox Church won't talk to the Greek Orthodox Church either. Yes. Something like that. Yeah, basically, you agree with this, and therefore, you know, we're taking our ball and going home. Okay. <laughs> I like that. That's, uh, you know, down to earth. So, you know, meantime, you know, we think of Vladimir Putin, you know, in terms of his past with a Soviet era that is not known for being friendly to religion. But in the history of Russian church-state relations, there has, with the exception of the 70 years of the Soviet era, isn't it true that there has always been a very close collaboration between church and state? Um, that's actually underselling it. The, the church and state have always been intertwined in Russia. Uh, it actually follows the Byzantine model of the Byzantine Empire, where the emperor and the, the ecumenical patriarch ran the empire a lot of ways hand in hand. Wow. Um, can you contrast that at all? with the relationship, say, of the popes and the Holy Roman Empire and the West during, uh, you know, the heyday in the Middle Ages of the Holy Roman Empire? Uh, of the Holy Roman Empire was actually fairly similar. Um, you know, you had the, the pope, which was, there's a, there is a slight difference. The pope was actually giving the authority to the emperor, where the patriarch was actually working hand-in-hand hand with the, the czar, the czar would actually help designate who was going to be the next patriarch. But it's roughly the same power structure between the Holy Roman Empire and the, the Russian czarist uh, government. So, and uh, I'm assuming that there was some uh, backsliding from that sort of close affiliation during the Soviet era. I mean, the, the hostility to religion certainly was, at least here in the West, that was our perception that characterized the Soviet era. And that's very true. A lot of it was the simple fact that um, the, the Russian church was intertwined with the Tsarist government and the Bolsheviks were rebelling against the Russian government. Um, the uh, uh, Patriarch Tikhon, who is now uh, a uh, canonized saint within the Orthodox Church, uh, wanted to make the church non-political, but the damage had already been done by that point. Um, so there was actually no patriarch from uh, St. Tikhon's passing uh, until the the elevation of Patriarch uh, Sergius the first, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in the 40s, under that would be under Stalin. And it's because it was believed that Patriarch Sergius was uh, influenced by the, the the Soviet government which actually caused another schism within the Russian church, which created the Russian Orthodox Church outside Russia, uh, or ROKOR, which has been operating since the 1920s. Um, they actually just recently became back in communion with the, uh, the whole of the church. It was uh, 2007 was when they came back on, in communion. So this leads me to, to focus a little bit on Vladimir Putin himself, because it's my understanding that he was baptized in the Russian Orthodox Church, and uh, talk about when he came to power, his relationship with the Russian Orthodox Church. You know, I, 
I, far be it for me to ever question anyone's Christianity or their faith in general. Um, if they say they are, I, I, I tend to believe them. And he is someone who, um, you know, use the term regularly attends, but, uh, you know, for a world leader who is, uh, currently in, in the middle of the war, I guess he's attending a, uh, uh, services regularly. Uh, he receives communion, uh, which means he is doing confession. So he is an Orthodox Christian and has been most of his life. Uh, I mean, technically all his life, but, um, so he has always understood the power of the church and how it resonates with the Russian people. He's also understood that the church was so entwined with the previous uh, czarist regimes and saw that as an opportunity. Um, now, a lot of people will say that Patriarch Kirill is uh, a puppet of Vladimir Putin. Um, uh, you know, I don't truly believe that. He, he is in power and working with the government because that's what the Russian church has always done. Very, very interesting. And so I guess the question becomes the extent to which reunification with the schismatic Ukrainian Orthodox Church is at least in part a motive here. And if I recall from our earlier discussion some weeks ago, um, Kiev is regarded as the Jerusalem of the Russian Church, because that's where it all got started, right? Right. That's where the Kievans happened. Um, that's the start of the, the Russian Orthodox Church. And so Kiev is the, is the, that holy center. And, um, it was the metropolitanate of, uh, Kiev was given back to the Russians in the late 1600s. Um, but this recognition of an, an autonomous Ukrainian church goes against the idea of, of holy Russia, um, which is, you know, the lands of Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, etc., all these were just part of the Kievan Rus uh, lands. And they want to kind of bring that concept back is the is what they're reporting to, to the world. So, you know, the secular press focuses on restoring the Soviet empire, but from a religious standpoint, the history is far, far deeper, is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, it goes back to the the founding of the, the czarist regime and the the commingling with the uh, the Russian Church. And you know, you know, your expertise is not geopolitics, but dare I ask the extent to which the Baltic republics—Estonia, Lithuania, Latvia—which um, I believe are part of NATO now, or at least some are. Um, you know, is that included in at least the religious vision of Holy Russia? I can say that Georgia is. Um, I mean, Putin has already invaded Georgia once. Uh, Georgia has its own autonomous church that is separate from the, the Russian Orthodox Church. Um, so, you know, um, I don't know much about the, the Baltic nations in that regard. Um, more than likely, um, yeah, I've never heard of, uh, I know the Serbians have their own Orthodox Church. I would guess that if they are um, they probably, uh, skew more towards the, uh, the Byzantine Catholic churches, which are basically like Orthodox churches, but under the Pope. I could go into more detail about that, but, uh. <laughs> well, we've got about a minute left and, you know, we have to keep it simple, but I think it's, is it fair to say that the religious dimension here is a contributing factor in uh, the desire to reunite, as it were, or to unite Ukraine with Russia. 
it would be uh, to not think that would be uh, I don't know how you get to that point. It, it very much is both from the religious and the political aspect. Um, this is the Russian church. That's how they see Ukraine. They don't see Ukraine as its own entity. They see it as part of the larger part of Russia. And ironically, the current invasion, I think, has really served to solidify Ukrainian identity and independence. And it, it appears to have backfired. You know, obviously how that plays out in the future, nobody has a crystal ball, but uh, it does not seem to be going the way that Putin had wanted, even if he does succeed politically in exercising control. Right, and there's uh, there are um, churches under uh, Metropolitan Punefri, who is under the Moscow Patriarchate, uh, that are requesting that they can leave the jurisdiction of Russia or that the entire metropolitanate leaves the jurisdiction of Russia. Um, there's numbers being bantied about, no one knows how correct they are, um, but the sentiment is out there. So in some ways they're creating a unified Ukraine. Oh, interesting. So you're saying that Russian Orthodox churches in Ukraine that previously have been part of the Russian administration are now seeking to sever and join the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. Either the Ukrainian Orthodox Church or go back under the Ecumenical Patriarch. That's where it gets a little fuzzy uh -huh. since there's nothing official, Got it. but there has been discussion. We're out of time. We've had an anonymous guest talking about the religious dimensions of the war in Ukraine. Thank you very much. As we close, remember here at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk about religious freedom. We help workers suffering religious discrimination, especially in the workplace. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org. And don't forget, friends, freedom is not free. Be informed, get involved. Join the North American Religious Liberty Association, producer of Freedom's Ring at religiousliberty.info. Be sure to listen to Freedom's Ring on SoundCloud or iTunes. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.